1 John chapter 5, verse 1. Whosoever believeth that Jesus is the Christ is born of God, and everyone that loveth Him that begat loveth Him also that is begotten of Him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and keep His commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep His commandments, and His commandments are not grievous. For whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world, and this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. Who is he that overcometh the world? But he that believeth that Jesus is the Son of God. This is he that came by water and blood, Even Jesus Christ, not by water only, but by water and blood. And it is the Spirit that beareth witness, because the Spirit is truth. For there are three that bear record in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost. And these three are one. And there are three that bear witness in earth, the Spirit, the water, the blood, and these three agree in one. If we receive the witness of men, the witness of God is greater. For this is the witness of God, which He hath testified of His Son. He that believeth on the Son of God hath the witness in himself. He that believeth not God hath made him a liar because he believeth not the record that God gave of his Son. And this is the record that God hath given to us eternal life, and this life is in the Son. He that hath the Son hath life, and he that hath not the Son hath not life. I know that's a lot of reading, and we'll not be able to cover all of that, not even scratch the surface of it. But I'd like to think about uh, verse number 4, maybe to begin with. And I'd uh, I'd like for you to think about this in the context of this Scripture. God is giving a witness. And, you know, this might be a crazy way to think. But I'd like for you to think tonight about a trial. I'd like for you to think tonight about being on the jury. I'd like for you to think tonight about hearing the witness making your decision. Just a few little side notes. So the jury, no kinship, no partiality. And I would say this, you know, there's no cell phones. There's no distractions. You sit in the same seat every day. You don't change seats. You don't talk. You don't talk among yourselves. You don't talk outside about the case. And you know, I I know Lisa and Clark could probably go over this a lot better. I'm not trying to go over every detail. But I'd like for you to think about how important it is to hear 
every question and hear every answer given. That your decision is made by what is given, the evidence and the testimony that's given in the trial. And you know, you could put me on trial. Maybe my mother be the only one uh, that would be of kinship. If there would be any partiality, you put somebody else on trial tonight. But as you think about this, you know, we don't want the mind, no alcohol, no drugs, no knowledge of the case. We've got to take what's being given and given to us here. I believe we come a lot of times with a prejudice. But you know, if the lawyer can figure out you've got a prejudice, you're not going to be on the jury, are you? You're not going to be there. If you've got prior knowledge, if you've got prior, uh, uh, you, you've already got your mind made up, you've already got an opinion. So uh, with those things, and you know, no outside influence, no outside pressure. So let's think about this. Whosoever is born of God overcometh the world, and this is the victory that overcometh the world. Even our faith. What shall our faith be in? I tell you, what, what do we believe? It's more, I understand that our faith must be in the Lord Jesus Christ. But I tell you, it's going to begin long before that. Jesus Christ is the good news. Jesus Christ came after John the Baptist. Is that right? John the Baptist was the forerunner. I tell you, there must come a knowledge of who I am. There must come a knowledge of what I am. There must come a knowledge of my condition before God. You know, as you think about this, who is he that overcometh the world? I tell you, you talk about something to overcome. You think man on his own is going to overcome the world? According to what John said in the uh, chapter number 2, he said this, All that is in the world, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. For if any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but of the world. You know, I've already got the pressure of the world on me. And you know what the pressure is? The pressure is for me to stay with the world. The pressure is for me to believe what I am in the world. The pressure is for me to come and believe what I am and who I am and that I am as good as anybody else. Well, I tell you what, we've got a witness coming. We've got a witness coming in a few verses. And I tell you the witness that is coming, is he going to testify against me? Is this witness that is coming, am I going to be found guilty in his sight? You know, am I going to overcome the world? So as you think about this, so the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, uh, uh, the pride of life, do you have that to deal with? Have you had that to deal with? 
Do you still have that to deal with, even maybe as a person that is saved? But if you're unsaved, remember this, that you have to come to that knowledge that that is a problem and a hindrance to you. Without us, if I'm going to overcome the world and have my faith, this is what the Bible says, Who is he that overcometh the world? But he that believeth Jesus is the Son of God. Who is he that is born of God? Whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world. Well, I'll say this, it wasn't my flesh that overcame the world. It wasn't my flesh that was born of God. No, I tell you, there was something on the inside of me that was born of God. So there must be a working of God on the inside of man that he might be able to overcome the world. Because the world desires to overcome and overpower you. There's a great desire. And you know, you might say, well, I I, I don't know about that. But I ask you this, what's your perception of you? How do you feel about you? Most of the time, the way that we feel about ourselves is in comparison to another human being. That's the way we feel about ourselves. We look at ourselves and we judge ourselves by one another. We judge ourselves uh, uh, by the surroundings. Everything today, everything is relative. But I tell you this, God has a standard that is not relative and does not move and does not change. God has a standard that has never changed uh, from the foundation of the world to this day today. You know what I must do? I must perceive myself in the eyes of God. Almighty. I must have a perception of myself that is true in the sight of God. If I'm going to overcome the world and and my faith is going to overcome the world, I must believe this as well. I must believe what God says about me. Until I come to the realization of what God says about me, I have no need for Jesus Christ. It's the truth. Man has no need for Christ until conviction, condemnation, guilt, shame, uh, 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 the weight of his sin falls in on him and that must be a work of God in the inner man because man perceives himself to be good. Man perceives himself to be upright. Man perceives himself to be better than the majority. I mean, I would say that for my own self before I was saved. I consider myself to be greater than, better than, more upright than the majority of the world that I was living in the midst of that was my self perfect my self pers- uh, 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 a perception of me but the truth was I had never come to the knowledge of the real truth I had never come to faith and that faith that belief of what God said about me what else do I have to overcome <laughs> well I got to overcome me I got to overcome the flesh I got to overcome the lust of the flesh, the pride of life, the lust of the eye. I got to overcome that. I got to overcome my own thoughts of me. Then I got to overcome the prince and the power of the air. 
How can I, a human being, overcome? How can I do that, Lynn? How can I overcome the strong man? There's no way for me as a finite human being to overcome the strong man. The strong man is set up on the throne of a man and a woman's heart. And you know something? We never realize that until the stronger man comes by and reveals who is sitting there on the throne of a man's heart. I'm telling you the honest to God truth, folks. Well, the truth is, man thinks he's all right before God day after day after day after day, and he's never come to the realization that the devil is sitting on the throne of a man's heart and all of his goods are at peace. I'll say this for 23 years of my life. I realize you could, you could discount maybe the early years, but the truth is, as time went on and time went on, you know, there was nothing bothering me about my sin. There was nothing bothering me about my ungodliness. There was nothing troubling me. There was nothing at all. I was getting along just fine the way I acted, the way I talked, where I went, what I did, all of my actions inside and outside. I had no problem. There was absolutely nothing bothering me. And I tell you, the stronger man came one day and opened up and revealed unto me that the devil was the one that was in control of my life. And friend, I tell you, I began to be troubled on the inside. God did a work on the inside of me that brought me to the realization the devil has to be overcome. You can't do that. You can't overcome the devil. You know what he said? Why, you're all right. You're fine. I mean, just look around at you and look at the rest of the people. Don't you fit in just fine? Always. He began this way. He began with a lie. He has not changed tactics. And what he does, are you listening? Are you listening? Are you on the jury? Are you listening? Are you listening to all that's being said, not by me, but by the Word of God? So, the devil is a liar from the beginning. And you know what the devil does? <laughs> he uses those three things. He uses the lust of the eye, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. And he always tells me what I want to hear. He always tells me I'm fine in my religion. He always tells me that I'm fine with my profession. He always tells me that I'm just as good as anybody and everybody else down there at the church house. He tells me over and over and over again, I don't need to go any farther or to come to any greater understanding or any more knowledge than what I have right now. What you have is sufficient for you and the honest to God truth is a lie. And man does not want to be bothered. Man does not want to be troubled. Man does not want to be upset. And man does not want to have to question what's in his heart. 
I, I don't, I don't want to have to wrestle with that. No, you don't. No, you don't. And the devil is pleased, pleased, pleased that if you don't wrestle with that, if you don't consider that, if you don't think on that, if you don't never think on that and consider that about you yourself, the devil is tickled to death that you never ponder that thought. He doesn't want you to think about that. He wants you to go right on and just think, well, I'm just fine. So, you know, what a deceiver. And listen, he is the prince and the power. He's not powerless. He's the prince and the power of the air. I tell you, he appeals to the flesh. Man loves a lie. That's the honest to God truth. You may not believe that. But man loves a lie more than the truth. Man loves darkness rather than light. Isn't that the truth? Isn't that the Bible? Uh, That's the truth about you. Not only is that the truth about me, if I'm on trial tonight, know this, uh, that I love a lie. Know this, that the honest to God truth is, I love darkness more than light. Uh, But know this as well, O man, who art thou uh, that would judge another? And know that you yourself are the same guilt in the same shape, in the same condemnation. Every one of us are made out of the same thing. If I'm guilty of loving a lie and loving darkness and loving the appeal and what the devil presents to me and I don't want to ponder on it. I don't want to think about it. I don't want to be troubled in my heart and in my soul. Know this, that's the same about you. Who persuaded you? Who persuaded you that you're saved? Who told you? Who gave you the confirmation of your salvation? You know, I believe this is the truth, and you might you might think it's going too far. But I believe day after day after day there is multitudes upon multitudes of people that try to persuade their self and try to go to the Word of God and read something and read this or read that or go back to some past experience and they try to convince themselves that they're saved. They try to convince themselves that they're right with God. They try to convince themselves that they're ready to die. They try to convince themselves, I'm saved, I'm a child of God. But I'll say this, uh, that God gave us a greater witness than me having to go every day and try to console myself and try to convince myself and for me to try to go to the Word of God and find words. I'm not saying that's wrong to find words, but I say this, that God has given us a Word from heaven and has also given us of Himself His Spirit to dwell within us that I might know beyond any shadow of a doubt. I won't have to go back time after time. But you know the truth is a multitude of people have never had the experience of the infilling Spirit and power of God to overwhelm their life. They don't have that. Why? Why don't they have that? You know something? I tell you, when God saves you, there's a peace. I'm not talking about a worked up peace. I'm not talking about a I'm not talking about a mind. I, I, I'm going to convince myself in my mind of the peace of God. 
I'm talking about a peace that is beyond man's understanding, a peace that's past comprehension. And I tell you what it'll bring. It'll be a, it'll bring a love for God. It'll bring a love for the Word of God. It'll bring about a joy. It'll bring about praise. It'll bring about that that is in your life that was was unheard of and unthought of before. It'll bring out that that is God-like and that is from God and that that exalts God and that that brings praise unto God and that is missing today in many people's lives. What's our faith in? It's our faith that overcomes... So faith is the substance of things hoped for. Right? So that Word is like a foundation. So I believe we could say the Word of God could be our foundation. But there's more. The evidence. The evidence of things not seen. What is that? That's the conviction and the convincing of the Holy Spirit in my heart and in my life that brings about the third part of faith. So there's the substance of things hoped for. There's the conviction or the evidence of things unseen. And then there is the volition of coming to. There is the movement. There is the decision. There is the believing. There is the repenting. There must be something that follows of the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. There must be something else. There must be a movement of me. There must be something that happens in me that would bring me to the place that my life would be moved to manifest. I do believe this. And God, when I believe it, God would manifest that. You pray for me. I I want to do my best to try to be of help to you. Who is He? Whosoever is born of God overcometh the world, and this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. Who is he that overcometh the world, but he that believeth Jesus is the Son of God? This is he that came by water and blood, even Jesus, not by water only, but by water and blood, and it is the Spirit that beareth witness. So Jesus came, not by water alone, but he came with water and blood for the cleansing and also... For the for the washing, and also the atonement for the sanctifying, for the justification and sanctification. So Jesus came that we might be set apart through and by the work of Christ. We've been made holy, but there is an ongoing sanctification as well. He came. Not only did He come, and you know, you think about this, the same came, that, but the water and blood, and it is the Spirit. So, who is He that overcometh? So, it must, I must, this is not a group exercise. I must believe it for me as an individual. I must believe it. He came with water, with blood. So if you think about the water and the blood, so there's the cleansing and the atoning. There is the sanctifying and the justifying. So the Lord Jesus Christ 
came and He sanctified Himself that you and I might be sanctified. And not only did He sanctify Himself, consecrate Himself, give Himself to God, but He died on the cross. And there, when the Roman soldier pierced His side, there was water and blood. There was cleansing and there was an atonement. There was a sacrifice given unto God that cleansed me, washed me, brought me into the family of God. And through and by faith, I believe that what He did is sufficient for my sins. He covered, atoned for, expiated my sin. Now, who's going to witness to this? This is what the Bible said. Not by water only, but by water and blood. And it is the Spirit that beareth witness, because the Spirit is truth. So think about this with me. That when Jesus was baptized at Jordan, there was a witness of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. All three. Right there. Right? So there's the Spirit. There's the Word of God. The Spirit of God descending like a dove. There is the Son of God as well. But look at His works. Look at the works that the Lord Jesus Christ did upon the face of the earth. The Spirit beareth witness to His works. The Spirit... So, so what could we say about this? I believe you could say it like this, that God, God put His seal on the Son that the world might know this is the Son of God. This, well, well there's never, you know, there's never been a, a man that was born blind that could see. I mean, here's a man that's been dead for four days in the tomb. And Jesus is going to raise him by His Word. Is there not a witness of the Spirit of God that this is the Son of God? So who's bearing witness? So God the Father and the Holy Ghost are bearing witness at the baptizing. This is my Son. When they were on the Mount of Transfiguration, God said, this is my Son. Hear ye Him. In the resurrection, God is bearing witness in the resurrection to a spotless, blameless Lamb of God raised again from the dead. God is bearing witness. This is my Son. There are three that bear record in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost. So there's the three. There are three that bear witness. And and really, those three are one. Those three are in unity. Those three have the same testimony. There's not a different testimony. They all three agree in one. There are three that bear record in heaven, the Father, the Word, the Holy Ghost, and the three are one. And there are three that bear witness in the earth, the Spirit, the water, and the blood, and these three agree in one. 
These agree as one or are as one. Now listen. So we're on the jury. We're at the trial. Verse 9. If we receive the witness of men, the witness of God is greater. For this is the witness of God which He hath testified of His Son. So God is testifying of who Jesus is. So I ask you this. Do we believe the testimony of men? How credible are we? I mean, let's just think now. So I'm a liar. I'm an adulterer. I'm a murderer. I'm a cheat. I'm covetous. But you're going to believe my witness. You might say, well, that's awful to say that. That's honest to God truth. That's the condition of humanity. That's the condition of humanity. But man is going to believe man. I tell you, one day, the witness came. Lost and undone and on the road to hell. And I tell you, God sent a witness down to me. God sent a witness down to my heart. God sent a witness. And this witness, friend, this witness came. And you know, I was in doubts. I was really in doubts of the guilt of this man on trial. I really didn't know if he was as bad as all that they were saying about him. I just, I really was not convinced of that. But I tell you, there came a witness and sat down on the stand and began to speak. And I tell you, friend, you talk about something going on in my heart. I tell you, that witness that spoke that day, I was absolutely convinced that the man that was on trial was absolutely guilty. And not only was he guilty, he was guilty of every charge that was brought against him. There was nothing that could be brought against him that he was not guilty of. And I tell you, it was the witness of God Almighty, the Holy Spirit that came to my heart and convinced me of the guilt of the man that was on trial. I wonder, has that witness ever appeared to you? Have you ever paid close enough attention in the service that God, that you heard God speaking to you, that you heard God, our God Almighty to stand up and begin to witness You think God knows about your murders? You think God knows about your trampling under feet, your brother and your sister? You think God knows your thoughts afar off? Do you think God knows about your hatred towards your fellow man? Do you think God knows about your covetousness? 
You think God knows about your envy and your strife? You think God knows about that? You think you've got anything hid away from God? How well does this witness know me? Two words I looked up. An expert with witness. An impeccable witness. I believe he's both. So an expert witness extensive knowledge experience in a specific field impeccable credibility skill training and education there's nobody nobody can trip up this witness nobody's going to cross examine this witness and find a fault in him impeccable an impeccable witness. So impeccable means this, free from fault and from blame. I'll tell you this, friend, that the witness that witnesses against you and the witness that witnesses against me is an expert in everything that has to do with me. Is an expert in everywhere I've ever been, every thought that I've ever had, all the lies, all of the, all of the idolatry, all of the adulteries, all of the murders, all the covetous, all of the envy, all of the strife, all of the partial truths. When you swear in a witness, what do you ask them to swear to? Lisa, answer the question, please. To what? So I ask you this. How much whole truth is told today? The witness is going to tell the whole truth. You know what I find in church members today? I find all over the place a partial truth. I don't find a whole truth. No, I, I don't find a blatant lie. I find a partial truth to where the truth and the words are twisted uh, to make it jab into somebody. Where it will be a hindrance and a hurt to somebody else. I wonder today, I wonder if you're called to the stand, could you tell the truth, the whole truth and nothing but the truth? I tell you, that's what's required of you. Know this, that the witness, ladies and gentlemen, that we're talking about in John chapter 5, tells the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. There is no sway. There is no twisting. There is no resting. He tells it just exactly like it is without any slack, without any turn, without any deviation from the whole truth. We're continually trying to hurt somebody and act like we're telling the truth. <laughs> oh no. No, I tell you, God as the witness says you're a liar. God as the witness says I'm a murderer. I hate my brother without a cause. I'm a murderer. I look on a woman to lust after her. I'm an adulterer. That ever happened to you? 
ever happened to you ladies? Oh, you're not immune. No, you're not immune. The men are not immune. I tell you what we are. God has brought a witness against us. And I tell you what He has found. He has witnessed. Know this. He is the expert, impeccable witness. And the judge. I'll just, I'll just say this. You be the jury. Listen. You judge me. Am I guilty? According to the testimony of the expert, impeccable witness, am I guilty? Am I guilty of the whole? <laughs> I'm guilty of all, aren't I? Am I guilty of all? This is what the Bible says. What does God hate? A false witness that speaketh lies, and he that soweth discord among brethren. God hates that. God hates pride. God hates a lying tongue and hands that shed innocent blood, and heart that deviseth wicked imaginations, feet that are swift to run to mischief, a false witness that speaketh lies, and he that soweth discord among the brethren. God hates that. I wonder what God's witness says to us tonight. I wonder tonight, do we really need a Savior? I wonder tonight, have we really been saved? Have we ever come guilty before God? Have we ever really, really been guilty of everything that we're charged with? You see, it's going to take an expert witness. It's going to take an impeccable witness to convince the jury of my guilt. Of your guilt. Have you ever come to church and paid close enough attention? Now think about the responsibility. I'm going to say it and I'm going to be one of six or one of twelve people that decides whether this person is going to live or die. You think I ought to pay attention? Do you think that a life would warrant my attention? Would a life, would a life be laid in the balance? Would that warrant my, I mean, my devotion and mine to think and hang on every word and to contemplate and discern? Would it be, would it warrant? I'm going to be responsible that this person lives or they die. We're not talking about probation. We're not talking about 48 hours of community service. We're talking about life or death. How much attention have we really paid to that? You know who's on trial? You are. You are. And the expert impeccable witness says that you're guilty. You're guilty. 
But you know what man says? Man says in John chapter number 1, man says, if we say we have not sinned and we make Him a liar and His Word's not in us. Have you admitted to your sin? Have you admitted to it? Have you admitted to it with a broken heart and a broken contract spirit? Have you admitted to it and has it brought you to a place of a new life? Has it brought you to a place of praise? You know, I think about that woman down there at Simon's house. There's a woman that Simon said, if this man were a prophet, he would know what kind of woman this is, for she is a great sinner. Oh, what a sinner that she is. But I'll tell you what this woman did. This woman poured herself out. This woman poured her perfume out. This woman loved the Lord Jesus Christ. This woman had praise for Him. This woman had love for Him. And I wonder today, have we had that kind of a forgiveness that we would have that kind of a love? You see, Jesus said it was like this. Here's the graph. Depending on how much forgiveness depends on how much love. Great forgiveness, great love. Little forgiveness, little love. No forgiveness, no love. Why do you think it is that Simon didn't have anything to wash his feet with, didn't give him a kiss? I mean, Simon was there to see if he could find fault with him, right? Was Simon loving the Lord? Was Simon caring for the Lord? Was Simon praising the Lord? No, I tell you the reason Simon didn't love the Lord, the Lord had never done anything for Simon. Simon had never been a conqueror, never been overcome, never been convicted, never been convinced by the great, impeccable, expert witness of God that he was guilty. That's the way it is today. All over our land and country. The reason there's no praise, no love, no joy is because there's not been a work of God done. Simon's true showing that, isn't he? And the woman who is a great sinner, what's she doing? I tell you, she's got praise, adoration, love pouring out. When's the last time that you ever had anything coming up in you that poured out to the praise of God's salvation. So this is what he said. If we receive the witness of men, the witness of God is greater. For this is the witness of God which He has testified of His Son. He that believeth on the Son hath the witness in himself. He that believeth not God hath made him a liar because he believeth not the record that God gave of his Son. So now think with me what we're saying. If we do not have the witness in us, now do you think if God moved in to a man and a woman's would that be noticeable? Yeah. 
But you know what you got to do? You got to believe what the witness said. Not only what he says about Jesus, what he says about me, what he says about you. You see, until I believe what he says about me, I don't need a Savior. I don't. That's the honest to God's truth. I don't need a Savior. I'm just fine the way that I am. But look at these words, please. Please, look at these words. If we receive the witness of men, the witness of God is greater. This is the witness of God which He hath testified of His Son. He that believeth on the Son, the Son of God, hath the witness in Himself. Now you think about this. You know what I have? I have the written Word of God. I've got that. Larry's got a copy. The wife's looking at a copy right here. The written Word of God. But is there, is there another witness? He had the witness of God in Himself. So God is going to give a witness of Himself and leave that in you. Listen to how He says it. He that believeth the Son of God hath the witness in Himself. He that believeth not God hath made Him a liar because he believeth not the record that God gave of His Son. So, I, I, I'd only, I don't only have this. I don't only have the outward. I don't only have that, but I also have not only a, an objective witness, I've got a subjective witness. I've got a witness that's not only on the outside in the written Word of God, or Vaughn's testimony, or Darlene's testimony. I've got a witness of God working on the inside of me. When the... When the, the infallible, impeccable, expert witness got up and began to witness, and here I am on trial, know this, ladies and gentlemen, that I was convinced that what he was saying was the truth. And that same spirit that brought conviction after faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ brought joy. Not condemnation, confirmation. I'm a child of God. He left something with me that I could know that I'm the Son of God. He left something with me that I could know. You know, He's going to write on down that, that we might know that we have eternal life. What is God's affirmation that we have eternal life? The witness that dwells in us is the affirmation of us having eternal and everlasting life. You know, we're, we're, we're going to get to that in the book of Ephesians in just, a, just another time or two. He, he left a spirit, didn't He? He left a spirit. So listen to these words. He that believeth on the Son hath the witness in himself. He that believeth not God. So I ask you this. What did Jesus come for? Am I a sinner? Are you a sinner? Have we all sinned? Are we all guilty? But you know, I've got to get it down to me. It's got to be me individually. It ain't me and Larry and Dwight. It's me. I've got to get it from me. 
that I'm the one. And you know what God's done? God has come and witnessed to us. God has come and come by and sat down on the stand and we heard the testimony and down in the depths of our heart have we heard it to the point that it made an impact and brought us to a place of decision. I'm talking about did it bring us to a place of decision whether this man is guilty or is this man innocent? You know what we got to come to? This man is guilty beyond any shadow of a doubt. This man is going to be convicted. Have you ever been convicted that God has convicted you that you're guilty before God? There's no need for Jesus until that conviction comes. You know what we're saying? The Bible's saying it. We're saying God. God, the judge. God, the prosecutor. God, your witness that you brought is a lie. Your witness that said I was guilty of all of these crimes is a lie. Our unwillingness to admit our sin, our unwillingness to humble ourselves before God, our own self perception of ourselves our own self-worth, all of those things that the devil lies to us about. You know what we're doing? God comes and sits down on the, ju- on the witness stand and God gives a witness and we say, no, that's a lie. He's talking about me. He's talking about you. And we're telling God that He's a liar. A God who is truth. A God who cannot lie. We are putting our judgment and our thoughts of self above the testimony of the impeccable expert witness. How do you think this is going to turn out? The truth is, if I'm on trial, with no prejudice, no kin, no outside influence, you, every one of you, are going to count me and put your uh, 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 hand up guilty. But you know, when it comes to you, when it comes to your family, when it comes to your friends, we sway. You see why we can't have partiality? You see why we can't have prejudice? You see why we can't be associated with the case? You see why we can't be kin? I tell you what, it's no problem for me to judge Brad. No problem for me to judge Dwight. But I tell you where the problem is when God says what He's talking about is to me. I'll tell you what Nathan said. Nathan said, David, you're the man. God says to me, you're the man. 
Has God ever convinced you that you're the man, you're the woman, you're the one that needs to be saved, you're the one that's guilty? I tell you where it is today. We've got God on trial. It's true. Man has got God on trial. God says the impeccable expert witness gets up and tells the jury everything that I've done, told about all the lies I've told, all of the ungodliness that I've committed, all the thoughts in my heart maybe I've not committed, but they come out of my heart. He knew them afar off. He tells that to the, uh, to the, uh, to the jury, and I say, that's not true. Everybody on the jury knows that this is the most credible, impeccable expert witness that has ever sat down on the stand. You're the liar. I'm the liar. God is not the liar. So, just a little bit more I'd like to say. So they, they have what they call a polling of the jury. Let's say the jury comes out and we say, this man's guilty. So here I am. I'm the one on trial. I say... Judge, I'd like to have a polling of the jury. You know what's going to happen? The judge is going to ask everyone on the jury individually. Here's the question, three questions. Is this your verdict? Is this still your verdict? Do you agree and assent to this verdict? You know, behind closed doors, they may be a pile of pressure, mightn't they? I mean, there's 11. There's 11 against one. And the one feels all this pressure to go along with the crowd. I know what you're feeling. You're feeling that pressure. You feel, oh, I can't can't go out. I can't go out. I, I mean, look how long. Look at my reputation. Look who I am. Look what I've done. Look at, look at my life. There's no way that I could say that I'm guilty. Are you innocent? Are you innocent tonight? So everyone, one by one, the same question. Was this your verdict? Is this still your verdict? Do you agree and assent to this verdict? You know, face somebody that don't agree. The judge says, go back and deliberate more. Or, it's a mistrial. There will be no mistrials in God's court. He is the judge and the jury. He is the faithful witness. 
And the world is going to be judged by the one that He raised from the dead, the Lord Jesus Christ. And the affirmation of you being a believer of the, of, uh, of the salvation through the Lord Jesus Christ is the working of the Holy Spirit and the affirmation of God living and working and overcoming you. Now, if there's no affirmation of that, you know what I ought to think? I ought to think I'm lost. I ought to think, well, you know, I, 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 I've wrestled with this and wrestled with this and wrestled with this. I tell you what, the expert witness has said you're guilty. The judge is going to say you're guilty. The jury is going to say you're guilty. The only thing remaining is you admitting and coming to it yourself that you are guilty before God. It's either that or you call God a liar. God. Isn't that something? I know you might think I'm not, I'm not, I'm not being right about that. I, I, I am, friend. I'm, I'm, I'm being right about it. We're saying that God is a liar. Jesus came to save sinners. And you know, He didn't come to save self-righteous people. He came to save sinners. And until you see yourself and are convinced by the expert, impeccable witness that says and tells you... You know what He said to that woman? I, I know Joseph just covered it. He told me all things that ever I did. You know, in her mind... When he told her all that ever she did, I don't believe there was one thing good that he brought up. Now, I'm not saying that there wasn't anything good in her life. And I'm not saying that the Lord would only bring up the bad. But I'm saying by the witness that he brought to her, the only thing that came to her mind was all of the ungodly. What did it bring her to? It brought her to salvation. It'll bring me and you to salvation.